Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and Happy Mother's Day. It is wonderful to see you all here this morning. You know, I have a good friend who, whose mother used to say that a mother's role is to feed, clothe, and civilize children. And uh, I, I, I think that, that we can all appreciate that, whether we have been children ourselves, which we all have, or whether you are mothers or whether you've just seen mothers at work, we all appreciate what goes on in the wonderful and tireless work that you do. I shouldn't say tireless. I know it makes you tired, but, but it, never seems to, it never seems to drive you down to the point where you are no longer willing to love and serve. And so thank you so much for being here this morning. But I kind of want to shift our attention a bit this morning and think, think less about necessarily the hardships of motherhood and, and more about a time to celebrate motherhood. Because today, our passage from the Gospel of Mark is actually, I think, apropos to understanding the necessity of celebration in our lives. So if you would please turn to chapter 2 of Mark's Gospel to the 18th verse. This continues our study of the book of Mark. And you'll see that, that this is a story about conflict once again. Once again, Jesus is in conflict with the religious leaders of his day. But if you will, read along with me on the screen or in your bulletin or on your, uh, in your own Bible as I read Matthew, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 2, beginning in the 18th verse. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with, with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed. And so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet, and a light unto our path. Amidst the changing words of our generation, speak to us your eternal word that does not change. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Now, Mother's Day is a time to celebrate the important people in our lives. And so today on this Mother's Day, I'd like to first of all recognize my beautiful wife, Morgan, who is the mother of my children. I want to thank also my mother-in-law, Ludie Warner, who is just so precious, so wonderful to us. But I also today want to take an opportunity to tell you some things about my remarkable mother, Betsy Fuller. And I just want to take a few minutes uh, to do this, and you'll understand why in just a second. 
First of all, I want to do it. I want to talk about my mom on this Mother's Day because this year in June, my mother will celebrate her 80th birthday on the 24th of June. Now, that in itself is worthy of note. But I also want to tell you that last Thursday, my mother finally retired from working from the, for the state of South Carolina. She worked up until she was 79 point dot, 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 and was active and beloved. I think that they just kept creating jobs for her over the years because they didn't want to see her go. She teaches yoga. She has been written about in books on leadership. And one of the most recent videos that I have of my mother was sent by a friend and it depicts my mom. It shows my mom actually chopping wood, splitting wood at a friend's birthday party. 80 years old, just retired, splitting wood. She is a great mom and she is a great grandmother. And I wanna say too, that she, like so other many mothers who are watching today, is a member of this online congregation. She's watching us all the way from South Carolina this morning, and if you will, would y'all help me in, in giving her a happy Mother's Day welcome. Thank you. Love you, Mama. That also goes for all the other mothers and grandmothers and other folks who are joining us today. Now, I think that this is important for me to say, for me to say these things and for, for me to take this opportunity because it's been a year since I've been with my mom face to face. And so when me and when my family, when we travel to South Carolina in June, we have some things to celebrate. We have an 80th birthday to celebrate. We have a retirement to celebrate. We have a belated Mother's Day to celebrate. And we have just the reunion, our first occasion to see one another in a year. That is something to celebrate. And I can tell you, it is going to be a party. And we will not fast. We will eat barbecue and pizza and seafood and steak and shrimp and grits and birthday cake and everything else we can get our hands on. And we will laugh and we will tell stories and it is going to be awesome. And you will be able to tell when I return because this robe will be form fitting. But I wanna bring that up because today is a day to celebrate. Mother's Day is a day to celebrate. And I know what kind of year we've all had. And I know that sometimes it feels like things are tough. And sometimes it feels like it's hard to celebrate. But today is Mother's Day. And today is a day that we need to celebrate those people in our lives who have given so much and made such a difference. You know, there is always a time for trouble. And there's always a time for political issues. And there's always a time for COVID and prob problems and lament and hand-wringing. But sometimes we need to take a break from all that. And we need to get together as friends, as a church, especially as family, and remember those people, celebrate those people that we love and are important in our lives. There is a time to feast and there's a time to fast. There's a time to fast and there's a time to feast and we need to know the difference. Sadly, the Pharisees didn't know the difference. The story that we've read today comes in the context of several stories 
about the criticism of Jesus. Once again, the Pharisees were complaining that Jesus wasn't towing their line. Several weeks ago, we read a story in which the Pharisees criticized Jesus because he claimed that he not only had the authority to heal physical, visible ailments of the body, but that he also had the rightful spiritual authority to heal what could not be seen, the godly authority to forgive sins. He was then criticized for hanging out with the wrong kind of people, tax collectors, sinners, the unrighteous. Next week, we're going to read a story that, the, that tells us that the religious leaders criticized him for disrespecting the Sabbath. And in the story that we've read today, Jesus is criticized for not fasting and observing pious Jewish religious practices. And so we see that on that long road to Jesus's crucifixion, the first step is a word of criticism. The road of Jesus, to Jesus' crucifixion starts with badgering criticism. In Mark chapter 2, the Pharisees first approached him with a rebuke. Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, the Pharisees didn't like John the Baptist, but they liked Jesus less. And they were not above making judgmental comparisons between Jesus and his own eccentric cousin. And even though John lived the life of a wandering wild man and prophet, we may infer that both John himself and his followers were meticulous in keeping the traditions of the ceremonial law, like fasting. Now, although regular week weekly fasting was not a part of the law of Moses, by the first century, such fasting had become an important part of the practice of Judaism, from which it passed into then into Christianity. And both to the Pharisees and to John himself at times, it must have looked suspiciously, uh, suspiciously as though Jesus and his disciples had chosen the way of easy religion, easy religion over obedience, foregoing the hard parts of piety, like fasting, Clearly, Jesus did not take the Torah or the tradition seriously. To the devout Jew, this one minor point of fasting raised the whole question of the attitude that Jesus and his disciples had toward the entire law. Why don't you fast? All the real holy people fast. Why don't you fast? But Jesus responded to their rebuke with a rebuttal. And Jesus said to them, can the, wedding guest, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The Lord's response to them is as direct as their complaint. It's almost like he was saying, give it a rest, fellas. You don't fast at a wedding. You don't wail and lament and walk around with your hand on your sword and a dire look in your eyes. You don't wear sackcloth and sit in ashes, grieve and complain and wring your hands at a wedding. You sing and you cheer and you clap and you laugh and you dance and you feast. You celebrate. I mean, fasting is in the Bible a sign of disaster or intensity or vigilance or penitence or mourning 
or voluntary abasement of spirit. But Jesus is saying you can't be somber all the time. The book of Ecclesiastes says, for everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And a wedding was a time to celebrate. A wedding celebration in the Jewish uh, tradition in a Jewish village normally took over the whole town. It normally lasted seven days. At that time, the virgin bride would come, would come before the town. She would be given away. The marriage would take place. And friends and guests had no responsibilities except to enjoy the festivities. There was an abundance of food and wine as well as song and dance and fun, both in the house and on the streets. And even the rabbis were expected to desist from Torah instruction and join the celebration with their students. The whole town got involved. And Jesus was saying, this is not a time to fast. It's a time to feast. But why? Why was it not a time to fast? Why is it a time to laugh instead of cry? Why is it a time to dance instead of mourn? Why is it a time to feast rather than fast? Well, Jesus' answer is not just a rebuttal. It's not just a snappy comeback to refute the snarkiness of the Pharisees. It's a revelation. It's a revelation of his true identity and God's plan. Because first, he makes the claim that he is the bridegroom. Time and time again, the Old Testament portrays God as Israel's faithful husband. In spite of adultery, in spite of rebellion, in spite of contempt, prophets like Hosea and Ezekiel show that the Lord is like the faithful husband who will not give up on his wife no matter how bad it gets. And then in the New Testament, Jesus is described as the bridegroom who will one day finally and completely bring his lost bride home. It was John the Baptist who first named it. In John 3, he says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, that's me, John saying that's the best man, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Jesus is the long-awaited bridegroom who has finally arrived for the wedding. And the book of Revelation shows us that Jesus is the bridegroom and his people, the church, are the bride. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so Jesus said, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? 
as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. His claim that the bridegroom is here is a declaration that is the answer to all of Israel's prayers. He's saying, all that you have hoped, all that you have prayed, everything that you've pleaded to God has finally arrived. Jesus has claimed that he has the authority to forgive sins, and now he is declaring that God is with them. Emmanuel. This is not just a claim to be the Messiah. This is a claim to divinity. He is with them. Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Emmanuel is God with us. Jesus is saying, I am the bridegroom, and I'm here. But he also begins to reveal God's plan, the plan that one day he's going to be taken away. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in that day. Jesus is already in chapter 2 beginning to reveal the Passover, the passion plan, when blasphemy and betrayal and abandonment and violence will take him to the cross to die the death we deserve for our sins so that we can live as forgiven children in the Father's house. He is saying there will be a time to fast. There will be a time when you have to hide and flee for your life. There is coming a time when you will be scattered and suffer for my name's sake. There will be a time when I am taken away. But that time is not now, not today. Now, I am with you. And this is a celebration because the bridegroom is here. The presence of Jesus, of God, is an occasion for feasting, not for fasting. You don't fast when you should be feasting. Jesus had no complaint with fasting per se, but Jesus does not, and he doesn't discredit or eliminate fasting. It's just that he's saying now is not the time. He grants that when the bridegroom is taken away, on that day, his disciples too will fast. The difference between Jesus and the disciples of John, Jesus' disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees is all about their attitude towards Jesus' ministry. Jesus says, I'm the bridegroom. They think that he's just some guy, a rabbi, a teacher. They don't understand who he really is. The problem is that the Pharisees and the others can't see or they don't get who Jesus is because they can't see past their own piety. They can't see who he really is because they are so wrapped up in who they are. We're the Pharisees. We do everything right. But somehow, their perfect clarity of vision has made them miss Jesus. What happens when God's work, or what we claim to be God's work, gets in the way of our relationship with God? What happens when the way we practice religion gets between us or between other people and God? What happens when our work gets in God's way? That's what was happening in this story. The bridegroom was with them. 
But they couldn't see it. This story is not just a revolution of Christ, excuse me, it's not just a revelation of Christ's identity and God's plan. It's also a call to revolution in which Jesus was saying, because I am here, everything has changed. And then he gives us two little parables, one-liner parables that we all need to know. Verse 21, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the, pe- the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And then verse 22, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Now we need to be careful with these two verses because they are frequently taken out of context. So many times and in so many ways, they are used to bludgeon the old with the new, to criticize the church or to lampoon people, to justify everything from building projects or launch program or launch new launch programs or to vindicate all kinds of heresy. The new obviously trumps the old. Isn't that what Jesus said? It's a way for people to say that we have to get rid of the old to make way for the new. But they miss the point. These words are not about novelty. These words are about Jesus. Jesus is not villainizing the old time religion. He's not even renouncing the Old Testament law. Remember in the the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. What Jesus is saying is that the coming of Jesus, the coming of the bridegroom, and the presence of Jesus changes everything. Both of these little parables illustrate the radical claim that Jesus makes on our lives and on the world. Jesus is the new patch and the new wine. He is not an attachment. He's not an addition. He's not an appendage to the status quo. He cannot be integrated into or contained by pre-existing structures, even Judaism, Torah, and the synagogue. He is the thing that cannot be ignored. He is the sight that cannot be unseen. He is the bell that cannot be unrung. Even the people around him said, we never saw anything like this. And the issue posed by the image of the wedding feast and the two Adam-like parables that we have here is not whether the disciples will make room for Jesus in their already full agendas and lives, like sewing a new patch of cloth on an old garment or refilling an old container. This is not about recycling or adding Jesus to your life. No, the question is whether they will forsake business as usual and join the wedding celebration, whether they will take that time, set it all aside and come to the feast or whether they will just stick him on the side. Will they become entirely new receptacles of this new purpose and new grace and allow him to expand 
Or will they try and just fit him in and bust wide open? It's not about replacing the old with the new. It's about Jesus completely taking over our lives like the wedding feast, like the bridegroom. The question is not about whether the old is better than the new. The question is whether or not the presence of Jesus will change your life, will change your party, will change your fast to a feast. Now, I said just a few minutes ago that I think that there are several very appropriate things that we can take away from this passage, not just in general, but for Mother's Day in particular. So what do we take away from this passage? First of all, we remember that this passage is about understanding the person of Jesus, who Jesus really is. He is the bridegroom. He is the center of attention. This passage is all about Jesus, understanding who he really is and understanding that he's not just another person, not just another teacher. I think one of the beauties of Mother's Day is we remind ourselves on this day that our mothers, that our grandmothers, that our sisters, that our, that our friends are not just people. They deserve our attention. Second, this story is about understanding the priority of the presence of Jesus in our lives. Jesus is not just an addition to our already full lives. We can't just know Jesus and then go about business as usual. The presence of Jesus changes everything. And the reality of Jesus challenges us to re-examine everything else. Is Jesus somebody you know about or is he present in your life? I don't know how many of you all came down 281 this morning, but you may have noticed one of the illuminated signs over, over the uh, freeway said, drive like your mother is watching. <laughs> how many of us live not with the idea that Jesus was a distant teacher in a remote past, with, but with the understanding that he is present with us every day in our lives. Finally, I think that this story is apropos to Mother's Day because this story is about appreciating the priceless value of time with important people in our lives. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Beloved, it's a simple truth that we don't have one another forever. And so we can't waste this time that we do have with one another. Don't miss the precious moments. Yes, for those of us who love Jesus Christ, we will spend eternity together, but we will know the grief of loss when we are separated for a time. But don't waste these moments that we have. Don't be that person who says, I wish I had, I shoulda, I coulda. Take the opportunities to fast. But also, and more importantly, 
take the opportunities to feast. Mother's Day is not a time to argue about COVID protocols or partisan politics. This is a Sunday. Don't pollute Sunday morning with Monday morning issues. There is always time for work, for business, for trouble, for problems and laments. But today is a day to celebrate the presence of the people who've made a difference in our lives. There's a time to fast, and there's a time to feast. We need both. And today on Mother's Day, we need to know the difference. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, as we are gathered here today to worship you, we thank you that you have extended your love to us through mothers, through grandmothers, aunts, sisters, daughters, through so many women in our lives. We thank you that you have, you have shown us your compassion, your heart through their, their gentle ministry, through their correction and rebuke, through their civilizing of us. Lord, we ask you to help us not to take their presence for granted, to understand that they are special people and we ask you, O oh God, to help us to value the priceless time that we have with them. Now, Lord, we dedicate not just this service, but this day to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.